and welcome back to another episode of Hughes Interviews. I have with me Anna McGann. Hi. Hello. Uh, Anna is a actor, writer and a poet, uh, so a very, very talented lady. And I'm going to ask her a couple of questions about her journey through the several industries that she's uh, involved in at the moment. But uh, I guess we should probably start off where... Oh, and that uh, sound is <laughs> the little bird that is sitting on my shoulder during Fern. this interview. This is yes. Fern. Um, so first of all, where it all started... Where'd you get catch the acting bug? I know exactly where I caught it. And it was, it was quite, I don't know, uncommon, I suppose, in a way. Because I know most actors have this revelation at the age of five or something where they just say, I knew it's what I wanted to do. I've always wanted to do it. But I didn't. I, I always knew I wanted to write. And my way of expressing it was I'd write these epic theatrical dramas mm. and direct all my friends and brothers and make people be in them and, and you know put on these shows so we should have we should have guessed like it was blatantly obvious but um no I got all the way through high school and I really just I really subscribed to that idea that drama was for funny people um for cool people I was neither of those things <laughs> I was really awkward and, and I was quite shy and I didn't know how to improvise the the cool fun thing I I was really drawn to authenticity though. And, um, and I just thought, you know, that's, that's not a path I can ever go down, but part of my heart had this secret desire that if, you know, when I went to university and studied something real, I would join the amateur theater company and I would, I would be in a play mm. <laughs> one day I'll get to be in a play, but it's once I'm free and you know, I have no more obligations. So I, I went and I studied psychology at the university of Queensland and I signed up on the first day of O-Week to the theatre company there, Underground Productions. And it was such a revelation because I think I'd spent so many years in adolescence feeling strange and I didn't fit. I was a triangle fitting into a circle. I, mm. I did, just There was nowhere for me to go where I felt normal and you walk into a room full of theatre kids and all of a sudden you go, oh. I found my place. These, these are my, my people. people. And that was, that was it. I was, I like really quickly transferred to a lot of theatre electives instead of psychology electives. And I, I, I didn't get into any plays at that. Like I was really bad. But I started, it was early days though. It was early days. Um, and it, and even just being in, you know, in the, they would have activism musicals. So like the first one we did was this, like it was a protest musical mm. um, about the closure of the Avalon Theatre at the uni. And so there, it was it was full of metaphor and it was, you know, angry and passionate and left wing. And we really thought that like, you know, someone's going to pick this up. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. <laughs> this is going to be the next big thing. Yeah, truly. Um, and if he was to reminisce about it today, it was amazing. And um, from there, I, I essentially started doing short films and, and discovered that you didn't have to be funny. You just had to be honest. Mm. Great. And with that, that knowledge that helped you get into the acting course that you did? I do think it helped. I, I essentially, I got really excited about it and really passionate about it. And I did... Ended up doing a heap of short films and doing a few little short courses. And it was during that um, process. There was just a lot I couldn't wrap my head around. I was one of those actors, those young actors that's like, why can't I cry on cue? All these mm. actors know how to cry. I just don't know how to cry. How do I cry? And I would have you know, this existential crisis about it. And I remember going to this workshop 
and they sort of, they took it seriously. They took me seriously. They didn't laugh in my face, <laughs> but they also like couldn't really help me that much. Um, and I just remember at the end of it, the, the teacher sort of taking me aside and, and saying, like, if you wanted to audition for acting school, you know, you could, you might get in. And there was this moment where I realized that the whole week, we'd had this intensive week, which had felt so indulgent. And this person was saying to me that I could do that, you know, every day for three years. You know, I, I didn't even think about having it as a career. I just, that was not even an option. But just the thought that I would get to have that experience of doing those things that I loved so much um, led me to audition. And you got in. I got in. <laughs> Talk to me about your experience there. It was a Q QT. UT. Yeah. So QT is probably the main conservatory-based acting school, like fine arts program in Queensland, mm. which is where I grew up. Um, and so it was in it and USQ. I believe that's still going in Toowoomba. That was the other big school. And other than that, you have NIDA and BCA and Whopper. And, but it, was, it wasn't as obvious a choice to me to move into state. So I auditioned for NIDA and QT and USQ. And my parents said to me, um, well, we they did it as a way of, of stopping the whole thing. Um, you know, and they were afraid they'd seen some of my amateur stuff and just thought, let's protect her. Let's protect her from herself. Um, but they essentially said, we'll support you doing it. Um, if you, you know, you know, you'll have our blessing if you get into NIDA or if you get into QUT, cause they knew they were the two harder ones to get into. And, um, and, yeah. and then, and NIDO like was an interesting experience and I got a little way down the line, but, but then yeah, QT opened up as an opportunity and I jumped right in there. <laughs> it was, it was an, a fascinating three years. Mm. You can't, nothing can prepare you for it. You go in with this ego, you know, because you know that it's hard to get into and you know you've been chosen and it feels like a reality television program. It's ridiculous. And it's such a small cohort as oh well. Oh my gosh. And everyone's like figuring out the sexual tension and trying to figure out well, who's strong, who's not. Um, it is like a big brother and like people just start to pick one another off and you, you figure out the pecking order very quickly. Mm. And, and for us as well, we were getting trained in this really specific and really intense American method from like the 70s. Right. So there was, it was strange. It was a stretch. Like there, I, there are people from my class that still use it today and they swear by it. But I think it just never, it and I never gelled. We mm. never, I never, I never got it. So for the first year, they didn't let us touch a script. We just did studio work um, and essentially like sense memory stuff dealing with our emotions, dealing with, um, long to, time to do that. Oh, it's, it's <laughs> a very long time. And then in second year we start doing Chekhov and Shakespeare. All of a sudden you're in the classics, like you're doing Chekhov and Shakespeare Just diving straight in. and stand up comedy <laughs> and you're doing a film project and, you do it. and it's, it's really, really rigorous. Second year is actually incredible. And then third year you have these, um, really beautiful contemporary plays mm. and you preparing for showcase. And I suppose I, I really enjoyed it, but what it brought up for me is my desire to be a maker. I think even more. And mm. I would, you know, I would, I would secretly do, um, shorts, short films on the side. I would act in other people's short films because I was missing the screen element so much. And I would, 
I'd be, I would be writing plays and trying to put them on on the side as well. For some reason, the, the 40 hours a week of full-time acting school wasn't enough. Wasn't enough. <laughs> and, and I never really felt seen in it. Um, I had amazing teachers, but they never, I never felt like the one that was going to work. I always felt like the one that was like two steps behind. Mm. that wasn't as beautiful and wasn't as talented. And so when I graduated, there was no, I had no expectation that I would work. It, and it wasn't ignorance or even like this false humility. It was just like, well, I know who the strong ones are. And mm. I know that I sort of fit in this weird middle ground. I'm going to go be a playwright. I'm going to go be a theater maker. That makes the most sense. But then, you know, when you're in those institutions, you forget there's a much bigger world out there and they don't give a shit who is number one True. in the actual class. No, no, they don't know the politics of it. They don't, they don't see the, the pecking order that you've created over three years of people, you know, stepping on one another or wrestling one another for different roles or positions or the relationships. Um, they just look at the work. Mm. This is what it all boils down to, which is good. Yeah. Um, so what did you do for showcase? Did you have a good scene? You know what? I still harbor all this guilt about it because <laughs> I went with a really good friend of mine and um, someone found the scene for us. Mm. For the life of me, I couldn't tell you what play it was from. I couldn't tell you what our characters were called. I've since tried to find it. It was just the strangest play, the strangest scene from it. And it was two um, Southern American women, sisters, and my really good friend actively chose this role in the scene that had next to no lines. Like, she hardly spoke. This is a fair showcase scene. Mm, interesting and, choice. Well, and I feel like she's a strong actor. And she rightfully was like, there's no small role. There are only small actors. I can play this in a really beautiful, nuanced way. And we were all like, okay, great. Which, in turn, left me with these rambling comedic monologues. And I'd never really even done comedy or anything like that before. So I just had this this field day with this scene. And we had a lot of fun. Um, the second scene I did was from The Notebook. Classic choice. Uh, <laughs> look, it's so funny now in retrospect. The reality is I, I, I got really lucky. I feel like... It could have gone so far in the other direction, but in many ways, the choices that were made for me, you know, even the choices that I was encouraged in showcased me um, in a way that I would never have chosen to showcase myself because I didn't consider those things my strengths and they were. Um, so that was really, <laughs> that was a really interesting experience. I signed with Marquis. Um, they, was, they were the only meeting I took. Um, and that was it. That was done for me. I was like, all right. And I didn't really know much about them. Um, and I still say it's probably the best career decision I've ever made. I agree with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, as I okay, then after uni, you did a couple of plays or did you go straight into TV shows? Oh, it was such a strange time. So I was cast in a play at La Boite, which is, is a professional. Sorry. No, no, no. That was many years later. Oh, right. um, so I, I was cast in Julius Caesar at one of the professional theatre companies in Brisbane before I graduated. And so we, I knew that I was doing that the, the March of the, um, not the March, sorry, the, the, the January, February of, the of my first year out. Um, and so 
I was auditioning, I suppose, for other things after that and around that. And, um, and I auditioned for Spirited, which is a show that was on Foxtel with Claudia mm. Carvin. And I was cast in that. And it was very complicated because they were shooting the same time. They're shooting in Sydney at the same time as the play. Oh, shit. And um, it was looking like I just have to pass it up. But they agreed to work around us. So I would, what would, end, what ended up happening is I would do eight shows a week, and then on the Monday, the day we had off, I would fly to Sydney. On the very first flight, I would shoot all day, then I would fly home, and I would do that. I would take no dose. I was such a like little punk rock weird. That's insane. Ec- like acting student, I would just be like, yeah, yeah, no dose. That'll get me through. No, um, and then no dose. No. But then the, the, the crazy one was before that, before that even started, I think it was at the very end of December, I'd, I did a few trips to Sydney and I auditioned for Underbelly. And a whole bunch of us did these auditions. They were, they were, they were auditioning widely and it was early stages and I remember it so clearly. I went in with a really good friend of mine. We got ready together. We dressed up in 1920s costume and we learned our lines and we went in for the same character and... It was just another audition. It, it really, I had, I knew some things about the role, some things about the show, but very little. And, and I knew very little about the industry at this stage. And I now know how strange this experience really was. But I went in probably around midday on like the Wednesday, did my audition, did it a couple of times. They didn't really even blink at me. No big deal. Left. And then 8.30 the next morning, I got a phone call. And they were like, we've cast you. Just off the one audition? Just off one audition. That's incredible. It was so surreal. And very scary. Because it was a six-month contract. Mm. Um, And at this stage, Underbelly had only really aired... I think the third one was airing at the time. You know, it was still very much... Like, in the zeitgeist. And, and, um, And it was all of a sudden I was going to play this role... And I knew that I didn't have the foundation for it necessarily. I knew that I'd actually have to learn how to be an actor on the job, even though I'd done three years of training. And it was it was alarming, but amazing, an amazing experience being able to go do such a rigorous training period of doing Shakespeare alongside TV with some people I really admired, get those skills like a little bit up and then go straight into filming um a main role for six months wow it's definitely a trial by fire it was it It was (laughs) well it's amazing and it's some incredible work as well um and then that you know went on to other shows like us husbands anzac girls kettering incident any amazing stories from those oh there's they're they're always stories they're stories from every job Mm. they and some are better than others. <laughs> it's you know they're such different beasts. It's such a different experience working on a commercial network compared mm. to working on the ABC. What it, what the experience is to be creating a character from scratch or from a writer's imagination and partnering with them, than it is to be be doing your own work creating a character that actually existed. You know that that lived that you have records of. You have the diaries of, mm. like with Anzac Girls and even with Underbelly. These women, I, I could construct through research. That's an incredible experience. And such a gift as well. Oh my gosh. You get, they become four-dimensional. They become real. And 
it it just goes to show the more we're given as actors or the more license we give ourselves to creatively apply ourselves and imaginatively get into roles they can be bigger and richer and more beautiful I, I look at some of my work from playing fictional characters and it doesn't even come close to some of the stuff that I got to do and I think that I found when I played characters that were real people because I didn't I didn't do as much work mm. I got lazy I would look at the character and go I, I'm all I have to look at is what's written on the page and um you don't do that when you can read someone's entire life story. And it was just such a lesson, I think. Mm. All of those jobs were very, very formative. And I made a lot of mistakes. It's hard making mistakes in a, in a national like, <laughs> arena. <A> national broadcast. <laughs> you know, like you sort of want to have them done already, but maybe we have to like cut ourselves a bit more slack. It's part of working professionally. Mm. Well, you're not going to make mistakes in any kind of job you do when you're yeah. starting out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so to talk to me about a couple of the other plays you did. I heard uh, that we did Managing Jericho, I Feel Awful, The Effect that I mentioned before. Those are some big shows. <laughs> it was called Managing Carmen, actually. I'm like, what's Managing, managing Jericho, Jericho from? Oh, I've done really sounds, bad research No, here, you've done amazingly. <laughs> it just makes me wonder. I'm like, that's an interesting name for a play. Managing Carmen. You should write it. <laughs> I should, excellent. Thank you for this divine inspiration. Um, Managing Carmen was a David Williamson play, a co-pro between QTC and Black Swan. Um, and I played this, like, <laughs> this really, um, oh, she's pretty intelligent, but essentially this bimbo-ish, very extreme ex-prostitute of an ex-girlfriend of this football player. Um, so, you know, not, it's not exactly close to my personality, no, but one could really argue it. Um, so that was, in, that was like a real character. That was a lot mm. of fun. And we toured that. Um, I got to do a co-pro with Queensland Theatre Company and Sydney Theatre Company. Um, yeah, that was for the effect. So that was in 2013 and that was, that was amazing. Um, no, that wasn't, that was 2014. My apologies. And, um, that was an incredible experience. That was a Lucy Preble play and it it was about depression and medication and this experiment played um, on these two people about love. Um, so that was I think really, MTC did that as they well. Also, they did that at the same time. Right. Yeah, they did. Okay. So we, they opened just before we opened, um, I believe, which is pretty surreal. Mm. So um, did that. And then other than that, have mostly been working on theatre of my own. So I, I was... Um, writing a lot of plays throughout university and, and sort of really involved in the Queensland Theatre Company's Young Playwrights Program and Award. And then one of the plays that had gone through that ended up getting, I, I guess, on the, the, the longer shortlist of the um, Queensland Premier's Drama Award, which then was enabled me. I didn't get into the top three or win it, but it enabled me to then get a grant, get a, um, get a place on an indie program. And that play was produced. However, I had just started Underbelly. So where I should have been there, developing it, been in the rehearsal room, um, all of those things, I had to completely abandon it. And they had, were left to their own devices. And it was highly experimental theatre. Oh, dear. So it was, like based, <laughs> it was like inspired by Martin Crimp. So I, you know, I remember seeing it and just going, wow, I'm, it wasn't what I thought it would be. And... and 
how can I reconcile that? And some people really responded to it and some people hated it and they were so vocal. It was the first time I'd received reviews about my writing and mm. it scarred me. So I, so I stopped writing plays for quite, for quite a few years. And, um, and it was probably only, it's only been in the last sort of three years that I, I went to afters, I studied screenwriting. You know, I was really edging more into, okay, how am I writing? How's my fiction writing going? How do I, how can I create story in a stronger way? Did that, um, studied there and that was amazing. Um, did a few work, like did a sort of a consistent writer's room, um, workshop in Los Angeles and that was incredible. And then have come back and gone, okay, no, I'm, I think I'm ready to start writing stories again and start making theater again and start making films. And that's been so liberating. Yes. I mean, it sounds like it was something you were meant to do from a young, young age. So it's always good to, you know. I don't know if I was meant to. Something that I certainly wanted to do. Certainly, something you made everyone else. Exactly. Do. I made everybody else do it. Um, great. Okay. Well, uh, I just wanted to quickly talk a bit about your writing while we're on the topic. Um, where did the poetry come into it? You know, I had to actually, it took me doing a job in Adelaide to actually step out and do something about it. I've written poetry since I was small. I think a lot of women and a lot of artists do. They use it as a, as a mechanism for processing. It's very therapeutic. And often you read your stuff and you're like, this is terrible and no one should ever read this. And, and for a long time, no one did read my stuff and that, and that it was just a form of, of journaling. And, um, I suppose I had been exposed to it a little bit more and I had seen a documentary. That's what did it to me. Actually, I'd seen a documentary about spoken word and slam poetry. And I just looked at it and just went, but this is, this just combines all of the things that I know and I love and why don't I get to do it? And this really <laughs> intense reaction to it and really hungry reaction to it. Um, I think as well as an actor, you're constantly given other people's words. And if you yourself love words and you like to use them, it can become quite disempowering. You just want to, sometimes you just want to say your own. And so I went, when I did Anzac Girls, I, I knew that the Australian Slam Poetry Competition was on and I... I would sneak off to these like introductory meetings where they would give, you know, they'd talk about um, what was going to happen and, and the, and the thing and give you some tips on poetry. And, you know, these were to first time poets as well. People that were like, I just want to try it. I've never done it before, like trainees and stuff. Um, it was amazing. And then, then I wrote these pieces in secret and I entered the competition I entered the heats and I got, um, I got into the finals um the state finals in Adelaide and I remember having just this giddy moment of going I've just said my words and I've been able to attribute all of all I know as a performer to words I've written and I've never felt so liberated it's all a process of liberation for mm. me <laughs> I clearly sound very <laughs> repressed um but I couldn't I remember we, sh we shot over time that day and I couldn't make no. So I never made it, and I moved to Melbourne. I moved. No, I was always already living in Melbourne. I came back, and I made this commitment to actually join the poetry scene in Melbourne. And so I just started to turn up, and I started to go to slams, and I, not not to perform, actually, just to watch and get to know them. And then slowly, I started actually getting up there, and the community are incredible. And it's, 
opened up a whole other field because it means that you you're not just considered as a performer as this puppet that will say the words you're told to say it's this tool that I now have in spaces that they don't necessarily know how to engage artists but they want they want to hear your heart or your mind on something or they want to include the the female voice particularly in on on a platform in some way um offering poetry is this really beautiful way to do it like you can get away with saying things that you cannot say when giving a lecture or mm. even on a podcast you can go there um, and you can and and it's it's like acting you can you're held by the words and you can be um, a character in a way and you can be funny and you can be outrageous or really really angry and nobody holds it against you they, they just they take it as part of the art Mm. yeah it's that that yep that basically sums it up i don't have anything to add to that um but while we're on the topic of poetry and writing a question i definitely wanted to get your opinion on was or your view on was people of the sun people of the sun people of the sun uh a show i was very fortunate to be a part of and we thank were so you. fortunate to have you <laughs> oh my silly. gosh um so talk to me about the genesis of that i know a little bit about it obviously you and, and Joel just being like, we just want to do a show together. Let's see what happens. It started actually with, I was involved in this conference. It was a creative and spiritual conference. And they, um, they're real hippies. They, they'd, they'd called me up and just said, we want to give you 40 minutes. Um, we just, you've, you've got a stage, write something, but let it be prophetic. You know, don't, um, don't overthink this. Just if something will come to you, this is our belief. Something's just going to come to you and you'll know that it's right. And then you'll write it down and you just let us know. <coughs> and I, and I, oh, hello. Everyone's making noises. Sorry, I was right in my ear. <laughs> yeah, Fern right. is piercing. Um, hey, Fern. You're trying to record something here, mate. Okay, I think he's okay. But you'll be all right. So, I, a few days later... I was just playing with a thought, I think. It was it was really small. It was and I really love the genre of magical realism and often a lot of short story writing or literature fiction writing will come out of just playing with a little idea. And this small idea came and I ended up writing this twenty minute sort of epic poem thing. Just almost the basis of a world. And sort of looked at it later and, and it was very much a metaphor and it, it was it was its own sort of beast I guess and so I, I remember reading it and going wow I, wow I'm not sure how to place this and um, I sent it back to them to get their feedback and and Joel and I had been talking a lot we'd met through the poetry scene and we'd been chatting and I sent it to him I believe to get some feedback on it um and he came straight back. And you know Joel now, mm, so you know. I know. And he was like, I think we should perform this together. And um, So it's obviously going to happen as soon as he says yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was like, I think we should perform this together. And what I really love about Joel is that he... A lot of other performers I know or artists would say, oh, let me write something else to add on to that so that my voice is really present in this too. He just said, I just want to perform these words that you've written. And so we started with this idea of just us 
performing the words that were on that page and he added a couple of edits and he even wrote this tiny little section at the end and it was really beautiful and summarized it and it was all just really lovely and then we just had this thought of what if we made it into a larger piece of theater like this is the beginning idea but what what could we do and we challenged ourselves to just enter fringe <laughs> and then make the show later so we just applied this one night and just like oh we've signed up we're in, in it now you know we're in our heads we're like okay we'll just there'll be us and then we, we don't have anything else we don't have any money we don't have a crew we don't have space but we, we thought we might be able to get the one that we ended up getting mm. um if it's not and so it started off with this just simply this what was going to what and what was a spoken word performance on stage at creative conference about you know people's hearts and and connection and environmentalism and then we started to do these devising um, sessions together and it started to grow and this narrative just started to appear even through these very you know winding improv sessions that we do (laughs) you the beats were becoming apparent but it was also becoming apparent that it wasn't enough to just be the two of us. And at first it was very much, okay, we need a crew of people that can provide our light source because we wanted to do the whole thing in darkness mm. and have no light. That was part of the premise of the world. We just wanted torchlight as the only option. So, oh, we were going to need ushers. And then we were like, no, we need them to be actors. And then, it, of course, once we started to get you guys involved, you know, at the, the very first, you know, offer was oh yes would you like to be light bearers essentially like it was just an ushering sort of ensemble thing and then it we realized what we had on our hands I think we realized the actors that we had and as I started to do hmm. to direct it and do devising work with you guys I realizing the think character, I came into you all didn't come, of this was yes, done already <laughs> no but you did some of it with us yeah you, you weren't there for the, like the first two maybe hmm. but um you were still there for really formative parts of it because you wouldn't have been able to create that character otherwise. I remember that so clearly is that everybody found these profoundly different characters and they fit Mm. and they fit how broad the world was. And, um, I can't, I still can't believe we managed to throw that together from nothing to a two hour, 13 person show sell out show as well yeah (laughs) in three months yeah it was a pretty awesome thing to be a part of oh I miss it (laughs) Brisbane tour the Brisbane tour will happen the Brisbane tour because there's babysitting up there Mm. in Brisbane so I can just hand (laughs) that baby off (laughs) I should Um, mention that we have done a Sydney season and Anna is currently pregnant context (laughs) Um, Um, yeah the Sydney season was intense (laughs) yeah it was uh, so the show when we did it in Melbourne was in the middle of winter yes. and we were all wearing very heavy, dark colors that didn't yep. translate very well to the Sydney, uh, summer, especially cause we were up there for, I think it was the hottest week on record. Hottest week on record. And instead of being in Melbourne where the sun sets at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon, yeah, in- um, <laughs> and you know, in winter and, and of course you're in the, the premise of the play is, this dystopia and everything is very cold and everything is very dark <laughs> to go to Sydney where the sun sets at 8.30 p.m. Yeah. And our show started at 8 and needed to um, exist, exist under the premise that the sun has never risen. <laughs> oh, um, it was 
it was some very last minute uh, <laughs> additions there, wasn't there? Well, the team took it really well. I was mm. really impressed. We just did it together. We just figured it out. And you guys took it all in your stride. I think I gave you script changes like an hour beforehand or something. And you just improvised and you managed to lead, you know, this 120 person audience every single night into that space and through that space and then into the narrative. Um, it was absolutely remarkable. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. Brisbane season, here we come. Well, I, we want to make it into a feature as well. Oh, yes. That would be also awesome. Keep your eyes peeled for that in the future. Mm-hmm. Fern's excited, aren't you, Fern? Yes. Yeah, it's flapping in my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, pots uh, and acting and everything. It's all great. And so you're moving into more writing now, I'm guessing. Um, are you currently writing a book? Yes. Well, it's all sort of come out of... Um, it's a seasonal thing. Like, obviously, I've been doing Dr. Blake and I've been doing Picnic at Hanging Rock. And oh, there's Picnic at Hanging Rock, guys. Check that out. You'll see Anna killing it in it, I'm sure. Um, well, it's... Mm, I disappear pretty early in the piece. And you, you, you sort of flash back to it, but... Um, I would watch it more for just the way that they've decided to deal with the content. But but that aside, just meaning that it's it's been, it has been a rigorous year um, and I still feel very much, feel very attached to acting and very involved in it and I feel like it's not at all winding down. But this real need to write has become very apparent and I think I'm really, I'm really tempted by literature because you can write a script be it for theatre or for film or for television, and you just don't know how it will be interpreted, how mm. the the other artists that will get their hands on it are going to, what they're going to create, a, create out of it. And especially when you have a vision for something. I, I get the inclination all the time. I just want to, I just want to speak directly to my audience. I don't want the middleman that makes the film. I just want to tell the story straight to the person that's receiving it. And I think it, became really overwhelming and I've been writing um, a blog for a few years and, and, and I write narrative nonfiction normally in those contexts. You know, it's usually about my life um, and it's usually pretty vulnerable. But learning what it was to, to frame story, to tell story in that way, to directly reach an audience just through words and have that connection and have these relationships form and have people react to your art or your offering of work in that way um i became really interested in the idea of what that would feel or look like in a long form sense and it had come up and it you know it's it's an awkward thing people are like ah you're 29 you're (laughs) writing a memoir um and it's not like an autobiography of like this is my life it's it's through a very specific lens um through a very specific season and i felt like it was a story particularly for the women, the young women that often read my writing and my blog that are wrestling with ideas of um, relationship to their own self and body and relationship to their creativity and relationship to their spirituality. I felt like it was timely. So I've, I've given myself until the end of the year and mm. I'm pretty much on track. <laughs> I've got four weeks left of writing. You got this. <laughs> you got this. But you writing a book as well, so I feel oh, like you get no, this. I do, but nowhere near on the level of you. Mine's just occasionally popping a few words Yours down. Yours is like, there. for those that don't know about Lockie's manuscript, it's like, it's an epic. It's 
historical fiction and it's next level. So when he plays it down, call him out on it. Mm, no, don't be silly. Uh, <laughs> well, I think that's about all the time we got, all the time we have, because Fern's getting a bit chirpy in my ear at the moment. Um, but if you guys want to find Anna's writings and musings, it's on a forbiddenroom.com. It is indeed. Uh, and you're, she has social medias you can follow as well. Yes. Uh, Facebook page, Anna McGann, obviously being, and her Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, so check her out. She's pretty awesome. And she's also in a lot of great Australian TV shows as well. <laughs> so plenty there to love. Thanks so much for coming on, Anna. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening, guys. Uh, make sure you subscribe and, yep, See, Fern wants you to subscribe and leave a review. Or if you have any questions, just get on to me on my website, uh, hughesinterviews.com. Uh, and until next time, guys, have an amazing time. Bye.